0: Welcome to the Salt Church podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, ten am and five pm, at two seven five Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Hey everyone, I'm Jeff, one of the pastors at Salt Church. Great to have you here, especially as Amy said. If you visited us at Easter and you're back, or you're tuning in online, welcome uh now one more plug for salt stay it's going to be great if you can only come for an hour it'd be brilliant to have you It'd be great to have you along jump online you can find the timetable of everything that we're doing on that website saltchurch.info slash stay now let's jump into this our humans have lots of helpful sayings about how we're meant to live lots of helpful sayings oh my slideshow's is not working Let's see if that works. There we go. Humans have lots of helpful sayings about how to live. Let me give you three of them, and I'm keen for you to tell me what they mean. This is kind of call and response thing. Uh, don't count your chickens before they've hatched. What does that mean? Come on. Surely you know this one. Don't count stuff that you haven't actually got that you're just Yes, very good. Don't count things until you've actually got them. All right, what about this one? Every cloud has a silver lining. Yep. In the midst of seemingly bad stuff, there's always something good. All right. What about this one? Future me can worry about that. (laughs) Huh? Homer says says that. There you go. Uh, What's it mean? Worry about it it tomorrow. Worry about it later. Very good. Uh, We've got these sayings about how we live, and we build our lives around these sayings. But they're not always true. They're not always trustworthy. Sometimes there is no silver lining. It just is awful. Uh, Sometimes if current me did worry a little bit more, future me would have a lot less pain. We have these sayings and they're not always trustworthy. They're not always true. But God's word is different. What God says is always trustworthy. It's always true. And we can build our life on God's words. In fact, we need to build our lives on God's words. Here's what Ephesians says. This is what happens when you build your life on God's words. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So with God's words, we have this firm, stable anchor to build our lives on. Without God's words, we're in danger of drifting aimlessly in a sea of ideas and conflicting opinions. Today, we're looking at trustworthy sayings. Uh, Normally at Soul Church, what we do is we pick a book of the Bible and we unpack it. We've been doing that in the book of Matthew. We're about to start doing it in the book of Deuteronomy. And then we're going to look at Acts. And in between those series, we're looking at these trustworthy sayings from God. Uh, Everything God says is trustworthy, of course. But five times in the New Testament, we get this phrase, here is a trustworthy saying. So here's all five of them. We're looking at the first one today. Here is a trustworthy saying Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value in every way. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. These five trustworthy sayings from God. And we're going to look at one of them now. Then we'll look at two more when we finish Deuteronomy and then two more when we look at Acts, kind of in between our bigger series. So the first one we're looking at says this, if you want to lead a church, that is a noble task. Let's pray and then we'll see why it's that. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can be here together or be tuning in online. We pray that as we look at your word now, you'd speak to us, you'd help us to see what you value and for that to change the way that we live too. Amen. All right, here's our first saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, what the heck is an overseer? Uh, well, overseer here is the Greek word episkopos, where we get bishop or the Episcopalian church. Uh, it's actually the same idea as an elder or a pastor. So later in church history, this gets separated into three different roles the elder, the bishop, the pastor. It was actually the same thing. Let me show you this. Uh, Acts 20 and 1 Peter 5. From my leaders, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, "Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which He bought with His own blood." So the elders, he's telling them to be overseers and to be shepherds, to be pastors. Same thing in 1 Peter 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of christ 's sufferings who will also will share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of god 's flock that is under your care, watching over them same three things uh, they 're all related we 're talking about an older man who pastors and oversees a church their job is to shepherd and oversee to grow and guard and protect the church and this job is a noble one. This is a noble task. If a task or a person is noble, it means they're admirable, that we admire them, they're worthy of respect. Uh, The Anzacs are noble. We're celebrating Anzac Day tomorrow. The Anzacs are noble. We admire them for their courage Their sacrifices in the face of difficulty. Same as kind of all those jobs we listed. Same as the first responders in an emergency or medical staff in the midst of COVID. There's an endless list of noble causes that you could be part of, that you could aspire to. And God says leading a church is on that list. A noble task, a noble pursuit, a noble goal is to lead God's people. This is a trustworthy saying. This is a statement you can build your life on. This is a firm anchor in a sea of conflicting ideas and opinions. We can trust God that leading a church is a noble task. That's what this passage is saying to us. Now, it's obvious why the Anzacs or the medical staff are noble, because they sacrifice with courage in the face of difficulty. Why is leading a church just as noble? And why does God need to tell us? that it's noble. Are we in danger of missing this and of undervaluing what God values? Well, I'm going to give you two reasons why leading in a church is noble. But first, let me ask you this. What do you need to be a leader? What is the essential, most basic characteristic? If you have this, you're a leader. If you don't have it, you're not. What what do you think it is? Is it like a charismatic personality Is it a compelling vision? Is it that you can get alongside people? Well, actually, no, it's far more simple than that. It's that people follow you. If people follow you, you're a leader. If they don't follow you, you're not. That's it. And when I say follow, I don't mean stalk. I mean that you can influence them and they're willing to be influenced by you. That's what I mean. To be a leader, you need to have people who are willing to follow you. What do you need to be a good leader, though? Plenty of people have people who follow them and they lead them in the wrong direction. What do you need to be a good leader? We In our culture, I reckon it's skills. I reckon most people would answer skills. If you can perform, you're hired. Um, I did a little search this week on seek.com to find a job as a CEO. I thought, what the heck, let's just jump straight in. Let's find a job as a CEO. And I found a a really great job. Uh, There's a job at TAFE, the Director of Planning and Development. If you have a look at the pay packet... That's pretty good. I imagine this is quite a complicated job. Uh, Director of Planning and Development. And I looked, and there's heaps of criteria, about four or five pages of criteria to do this role. Uh, On the very last page of the criteria, I found a few that are about the kind of person you need to be. Maybe like two or three there about character. Display resilience and courage. Act with integrity. Value diversity and inclusion. They seem kind of character things. Commit to customer service. Maybe, technology, not really. Uh, there's about two or three in there about character. And I think that's true of most jobs these days. If you ask our culture, what do you need to be a good leader? The answer is skills. If you ask God, we'll have a look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. Here's God's answer. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, and on it goes. It's character, isn't it? It's almost all character. What matters most to God in leaders is character. Uh, Let's have a closer look at this this kind of overwhelming list of all these different phrases that are here. Let's have a closer look. Uh, The overseer is to be above reproach. A reproach means you're disappointed in someone's actions. So to be above reproach means you're not disappointed. They're not open to blame. Uh, Faithful to his wife. We'll come back to that one. Temperate. Temperate is uh, being sober-minded, being serious about life. Or next one, self-controlled. Self-controlled, you're not impulsive. You can manage your behaviors, your thoughts, your actions. You're responsible and you respond with wisdom. Or the next one, respectable, uh, proper, appropriate. the next one, hospitable. Uh, Not merely that you host people in your house, but that you welcome people into your life. That's what hospitable means. You welcome strangers into your life. Or the next one, able to teach. We'll come back to that one as well. Next one, not given to drunkenness. Uh, not turning to alcohol to deal with your problems, but turning to God. The next one, not not violent, but gentle, not a bully, but kind, not quarrelsome, not out to start fights, but peace loving. And then last one here, not a lover of money, not using the church to line your own pockets. This is the description of a leader. If you had a leader like that, what would you be? you'd be safe, wouldn't you? You'd be safe with a leader like that. This is a safe person to be around. And the more you hang around them, the more you would become like them. We become like our leaders, for better or for worse. So the more you hang around them, the more you'd become like them, the more you'd become like Jesus. Because this person is like Jesus. And this is why it's a noble task. We can trust God that leading a church is a noble task. It's noble because church leaders guard and grow the church. And they guard and grow the church by showing us how to be like Jesus. Church leaders copy Jesus and we copy our church leaders. That's why God gives us leaders. He gives us people that we can copy, examples that we can follow. And we need leaders who are good models of Jesus so that we can become more like Jesus. because Church leaders guard and grow the church as they model Jesus and as we copy Jesus. Let me ask you this, given all of that, what do you look for and praise in Christian leaders? What do you look for and praise in church pastors? Is it abilities and gifts? Uh, There's a podcast that's going nuts at the moment, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It it tells the story of this church in Seattle that grew from 16 people to about 5,000 people and then imploded overnight. And it tells the story, particularly, of an incredibly gifted leader named Mark Driscoll, uh, who dramatically failed in his character and was removed from the church. And there's this, it's a compelling listing, but there's this line in this podcast series where a church expert says there's this rising body count of young men whose abilities push them into leadership before their character was ready. I'll give you that again. There's this rising body count of young men whose abilities push them into leadership before their character was ready. And, and it talks about all the damage that that's caused. Because basically, if your character's not up for it, you won't guard or grow the church. You won't help people become like Jesus you cause damage. What do you look for and praise in pastors? What matters most to God is character. And just as a kind of side point, this is one of the dangers of not being a regular part of a local church. You don't know the character of the pastors that you're copying. There was thousands of people followed Mark Driscoll online, but didn't know him. They didn't know anything really about him or his character. What matters most is character. Character is how church leaders guard and grow the church, by modelling what Jesus looks like, and by teaching. Because it's not only character in this list, there's two tasks in this list to guard and grow the church. First one's back in verse 2. Have a look with me, verse 2. It's able to teach. What's that mean, able to teach? It means able to communicate so that people can listen and learn, like what you say makes sense. But I think it's about something deeper than that. It's about knowing the truth, knowing God's trustworthy word. Now, let me show you a couple of other verses that Paul uses in similar books. He says, An elder, this same person we're talking about, elder, pastor, overseer, an elder must hold firmly that a trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. This is what it means to teach, being able to teach. Or so the next one, 2 Timothy 4. Preach the word, correct, rebuke, and encourage. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. That's what a church leader needs to do. They guard and grow and protect and provide for the church by teaching the trustworthy words of God. So we don't drift aimlessly in a sea of conflicting ideas and, and listening to whatever we want to hear. We actually listen to God's Word. That's what that, that skill is, being able to teach. That's the first one. The second one is that you can manage God's house. I have a look in verse 5. Have a look at verse 4. Sorry, verse 4. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family How can he take care of God's church? So here's the the second skill. A pastor leads their own family in a respectful way with kids who listen to them, with with kids who submit to them, who are not rebellious and defiant. That's the picture. Uh, And Now kids, of course, kids sin too. If you've got kids, you know this as a fact. Kids sin too, so they're not going to be perfect. But it's talking about the way that this man cares for and manages his family which shows he's suitable for this second task, overseeing a spiritual family. He cares for his own family, so he can care for God's family. I jump down to verse 14. This is the language that we get here, God's household. Verse 14 says, "'Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions, so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household.'" which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So the men who lead God's household are to be people who have shown they've got the character and the ability by how they lead their own household. So it's a noble thing. It's a noble cause because church leaders guard and grow the church by what they model, by what they teach, and by the way, they lead and manage and oversee God's family. And the whole way through here, it's talking about men. It says he, it's male, it's the, the husband of one wife. I think this gives us a bit of a clue just here why it's men here. I think this gives us a clue why we're talking about males instead of just anyone. Uh, it's the same reason that God asks men to lead the family, he asks men to lead the church family. Uh, part it's, it's part of how God's designed men and women to relate in the world that he created. We're made equal. We're made completely equal. Men and women are in the same image of God. Uh, we're saved by Jesus as brothers and sisters of Christ, as sons and daughters of God, as we saw over Easter. There's, there's, we're loved equally. There's no difference between men and women in God's sight based on anything Anything we do or don't do there's no difference based on gender or biological sex. We're made equal, but we're also made different. Men and women are not the same. There's obvious physical differences between men and women, and there's also differences in the role that God wants us to play in our families and in our church family. God wants God's design is for men to take the leadership in families and church families. And God's design is for women to support and help men to take the leadership in families and church families. And not that women don't do anything in the family or the church family, and not that women don't lead anything in the church family or the family, is that the ultimate responsibility lands on men. And we work together in this. It's not a competition. We're better together. We work together in this. Now, it's easy to mishear what I'm saying. It's easy to mishear it in our culture. Uh, In our culture, at the moment, equality has come to mean equivalence. Equality means fairness. Equality is about what's fair. But equality has become this phrase that means equivalence, the same. Because our culture has decided that the best way, perhaps even the only way, to really show fairness is if everybody's treated exactly the same. But that's not actually fairness equality and equivalence are two different things the other thing that's happening in that culture is that gender is being downplayed to the point where there's no difference but men and women are different men and women are not the same we're different by God's design and we're different in roles that he wants us to take on but we're never ever different it's never differences because of our value it's never differences because of our abilities there's no reference here to men leading because they have different value to women or more abilities than women. There's no difference anywhere in the Bible to men taking the leadership because they have a different value in God's sights or different abilities. It's always because of God's design. Now that is a super quick summary of a very big idea and at times a very uncomfortable idea. Uh, but let's start back in. That brings us back to the phrase, I think, faithful to his wife. I think that phrase, faithful to his wife, is in verse 2. I think it makes sense if that picture I've just quickly sketched is correct. It's faithful to his wife, not a wife faithful to her husband. It's male in here. If that picture I've sketched of God's design of men leading families in the church and women, helping and enabling that to happen, if that picture is correct, that's why we get this kind of thing here. So what does that phrase mean there, faithful to his wife? Well, more literally, it means a one-woman man or a one-wife-husband. And the emphasis there is on being faithful, not having multiple spouses, but being faithful to the promise that you make in marriage to commit your life to this person for the rest of your life. And being faithful to his wife in thoughts, in actions, are faithful like Jesus is faithful, so that you can model Jesus. Now what does this mean if you don't have wife, if you don't have kids, does that mean you can't be a pastor, you can't lead a church? Uh, some Christians say yes, I say no. Um, the reason I say no is because Paul who wrote this was unmarried, he didn't have kids, but he is called an elder, he's called an overseer, he's a pastor, he's the same person here. Jesus is the chief shepherd, the chief pastor. He was unmarried, didn't have kids, despite what Dan Brown wants you to believe in Da Vinci Code. Uh, This is the principle, though. The principle is being faithful like Jesus so that you can model Jesus. This is something we can trust God on. Trust God that leading a church is a noble task. Leading church is noble because church leaders guard and grow the church by modeling, by teaching, and by overseeing and leading. But why does God need to tell us this? Probably a lot of us already knew this. Why does God need to tell us that this is a noble thing? I think it's because we're in danger of missing and undervaluing what God values. God values his church. God deeply treasures his church. Long before you and I decided that Salt Church was going to be our church, it was God's church. In fact, there wouldn't even be a Salt Church if not for God. There wouldn't even be any church if not for God. God bought the church with his own blood. God loves his church. God bleeds for his church. There's almost nothing more valuable to God than church. By the church, God is changing the world. Through the lives of Christians, through his church, God is changing the world. You might have heard this famous story. It was 1983, and Steve Jobs needed a new CEO for Apple. He's the guy there on the left in those rocking suspenders back in 1983. Uh, He needed a new CEO for Apple, the Apple company. At the time, Steve Jobs was working on the first ever Macintosh. Bill Gates on the right was working on Windows 1.0. And John Scully in the middle was the president of Pepsi, the Pepsi Corporation. And... Steve Jobs was convinced that John Scully was the guy that he needed, the guy that he needed to take over as the CEO of Apple. But Jobs was in this, uh, John Scully was in this really stable job. He had a great pay packet. He was very comfortable. So Steve Jobs came up with this famous pitch of how he was going to get him to leave that and come and join Apple. And here's his pitch. He said to John Scully, Do you want to sell sugar water all your life? Or do you want to come with me and change the world? That was his pitch. And he he was convinced. John Scully jumped ship. He came and joined Apple. And if you think about how computers have revolutionized our lives since 1983, I would say that they've succeeded in that mission. They've dramatically changed the world. But I also feel like God would say, do you want to make computers or do you want to change the world? The thing that God is using to change the world is the church. It's through Christians and through the church that God is changing the world. God deeply, deeply treasures the church. Now let me give you three applications to finish this up. Here's what we've seen. We can trust God that leading a church is a noble task because church leaders guard and grow the church and because God deeply treasures His church. So let me give you three applications to finish up. What do we do with these trustworthy sayings if your pastors and leaders have failed to live like this? It's a sad but true fact that leaders fail. And it's a sad but true fact that church leaders fail. And when that happens, it causes so much damage and it is wrong every time it happens. Uh, If you've been hurt by the sin of a leader, for what it's worth, I am really sad and really sorry that that's happened to you. That should never have happened. God hates sin, especially sin from his leaders who are called to a higher standard, who are meant to model Jesus so that they can copy Jesus. But there is one leader who will never let you down. He's the chief shepherd we're told. He's the ultimate overseer of our souls. The good shepherd who loves you so much he laid his life down for you. Jesus. Jesus is the one leader who will never let you down, who will never fail, you never mistreat, you never abandon, you never bail on you. And we saw this at Easter just last weekend. We saw at Easter the cost, the incredible cost that Jesus bore for our sakes to save us. And think about this, if Jesus was going to bail on you, if Jesus was going to abandon you or mistreat you, wouldn't he do it before the cross? He's there a couple of hours before he goes out that hill, climbs the the hill and dies on the cross in horrific pain and agony. He knows it's before him. If he was going to bail on you, wouldn't he turn away from it then? Not later, then when it cost him so much. But he didn't. And he never will. He'll never abandon you. He'll never bail on us. He'll never let us down. But more than that, not only did he doesn't bail on us and doesn't let us down, he also gives us the ability to heal from our past hurts. And he also gives us the strength to take the next step that we need on that journey towards forgiving the people who have hurt us. Actually, this is the biggest reason that leading a church is a noble thing. Jesus does it. God does it. God leads the church and he's never going to stop leading the church for a second. God's never going to cease to guard and grow and love and protect and provide for his church and for his people. Church leaders can fail. They can fail to point us to Jesus. Church leaders are forgiven sinners, just like the rest of us who need to grow. But Jesus is already perfect. Jesus will never fail you. You can trust him and pray Pray for your leaders as well, that they'll keep becoming more like Jesus too. Here's the second one. What do you do if you're not a church leader and you don't plan to become one? Well, maybe you should think about becoming one. It's a noble cause. How are we going to evangelize Australia, yet alone the Illawarra, if we don't have Christians who step up? There's so many ways to be involved. As men and women, we can spend our lives serving God. And when we serve and when we lead in a church, we're serving the most precious thing God owns. Of all the things that you could give your life to, of all the noble tasks that you could pursue, would serving in a church make your list? Or is there a danger that we undervalue what God values? Now, this is Jimmy Carter. He was the 39th president of the United States. At one point, he was the most powerful, one of the most powerful men in the world. And he is a Christian. He's now 98, uh, and he's been teaching Sunday school, teaching kids the gospel from the age of 18 to now. He's still doing it at the age of 98. What a legacy, 80 years of teaching kids about Jesus. And when he was the president, he got asked by a reporter once, He still taught Sunday school all through his presidency. And he got asked by a reporter, why are you still doing this? With all the demands you've got, all the important things you've got to do, why are you still teaching Sunday school? And he said, oh, that's easy. The most important hour of my week is when I teach kids about Jesus. We can trust God on this. It is noble to serve in a church. The other thing to say if you're not a church leader is that if you're a Christian... All the character on this list is for you too. It's not like being faithful and self-controlled and not violent. That's just for leaders. And if you're not one, you're off the hook. You've got a free pass to sin. It's all good. Except for the two tasks, teach the Bible, oversee, except for those two tasks, you can find the rest of this list in the New Testament in commands that are given to all Christians. This is just what following Jesus looks like. The difference for pastors is that this is the settled pattern of their life. Uh, That's why we get verse 6. Have a quick look with me. Verse 6 says, He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Uh, Don't ask a new Christian to lead a church or lead God's people, because there's a chance that the power is going to go to their head. You need someone who's got a proven track record to show that this is the settled pattern of their life. Or verse 7, similar thing. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Uh, Don't be a Sunday Christian who looks great in public or who looks great among their Christian friends, but what they do in private, they just do whatever they want. No, you need someone who's so consistent that even the unbelievers around them who are outside the church can see that they're consistent. The difference between a Christian and a leader, a Christian leader, is that to be a Christian, you just need to trust Jesus. But to be a Christian leader, you need to look a fair bit like Jesus too. Let me give you that again. To be a Christian, you just need to trust Jesus and be forgiven. But to be a leader, you need to look a bit like Jesus too. But all Christians, whether you're a leader or not, we should be aspiring to look like Jesus. We should be aspiring to look like this because it's what Jesus looked like. let me give you a challenge. It's almost May. We've got a week until May. Why don't you pick one thing from this list and try and work on it for the month of May? Between now and the end of May, pick one thing from this list and try and work on it. Ask God to help you grow in it. Fight to become more like this. If you're a Christian, grow to look like this. If you're not a Christian, though, don't try and look like this because it won't work. Our Christians actually have this profound thing. We have the God's spirit in us to transform and change us. We have God's power at work in us. And that came to us by trusting in Jesus to save us. You need to trust Jesus before you can look like Jesus. Or else you'll try and copy him and you'll fail and you'll just be drowning in despair. Or you'll succeed in some small way and you'll be full of pride. We actually need to be sheep of Jesus before you can follow your shepherd, before you try and follow Jesus. Well, let me give you the last one, last thing. What do you do with this if you go to Salt Church and you're about to vote in a review panel? Now, this is probably the most boring. Maybe this is not the most powerful way to end this talk. Uh, But it seems more boring, but it's actually very valuable because we need men like this to lead Salt Church, don't we? And we need men like this to be on our review panel, we need men like this to be on our review panel. Salt Church is part of the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches. That's our kind of denomination, group of churches that we're part of. The Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches. Oh, my slide keeps stuffing up. Can you take me to that one? Leave me on that one? Thanks, Joel. Uh, which basically means we're a fellowship. We're, we're like this network of friends of other churches, but we're independent. Fellowship of Independent. There you go. Jimmy Carter, what a guy. Uh, LAUGHTER we 're this fellowship of independent churches, so we 're independently governed we 're ruled by our constitution, and in our constitution, we have six men who make up a review panel and This is what the review panel does. If you jump to the next slide for me joel here 's what the review panel does. The review panel is to undertake and manage the processes associated with the following circumstances: the appointment of a new lead pastor when there is a vacancy, the appointment of an acting lead pastor the investigation into the conduct of the lead pastor and acting lead pastor, the removal of the lead pastor and acting lead pastor, confirmation of the ability of the lead pastor once he is the age of 67 and changes to this constitution. This is taken out of our constitution that rules and governs how we operate as a church. This is a pretty important role. And this is a role that six men in our church will do. Why men? Why have we picked men for this? Uh, Because what they do is like the overseer or the elder that we've just been looking at. They're not a full elder in the sense that we've been looking at. The elders at Salt Church, in the full way that the Bible means this, are Michael, our lead pastor, and Andy and myself, the three of us pastors. That's the full way that the Bible means. But what happens if our lead pastor fails? What happens if our other pastors fail in a serious way where they need to be investigated or need to be removed or need to be replaced? Well, that's where the review panel comes in. Uh, the review panel is there to investigate, to do all of these things, uh, and they they kind of approximate the role of an elder that we've been looking at, because they have the authority to do these kind of roles when they need, and these are kind of these are the same kind of roles. These are, these are elder type roles, aren't they? If if we're in an Anglican church, these are the kind of roles that a bishop would do. But we're not an Anglican church, we're an independent church. And so we have a review panel of six men from Soul Church and from other churches who do this. And sometime in May or June, we're going to ask you as a whole church to nominate and vote on three men who would join the review panel and lead church in this way. As we do that, let's see that as a really noble task to take on. And let's pray about who we ask to do that. And let's look for 1 Timothy 3 kind of men with character that is worth copying. Uh, That's still a ways off, though, sometime late May, early June. Uh, And so let me tell you as well, just to kind of wrap this up, these are not the only people that you can share a concern with. If you've got a concern about one of your leaders at Salt, a pastor, Michael, myself, Andy, or just any of the other leaders at Salt Church, You can raise that with many people. Uh, We actually, can you go to the next slide, Joel? We actually have these safe ministry representatives at both of our gatherings that you can speak with. We have Hannah Baker and Kelly Hancock at 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. church. And we've got Michael and Colin Firth-Kelly at 10 a.m. and 5. And we're actually looking for someone to replace Michael um, so that it's not Michael that you go to, it's someone else. You can email them, you can speak to any of those people, you can email that address, safe ministry at solstice.info and raise any concern you've got at any point. Uh, we also have, the, as well as these safe ministry people, we also have a safe ministry policy about how we operate in our church, how that we can be safe in everything we do. We have an informal and a formal complaints process. We have a code of conduct for our staff that sets out the expectations and behaviors. We've got all these things to try and help us be safe as a church. Just kind of bring you up to speed. A lot of this stuff is new. We've been working on it over the last couple of months. Just throwing that in there. Now let me wrap up. Next slide, last slide. What have we seen? It's valuable and noble To serve and lead in a church is valuable and noble to serve and lead God's people. That's how God guards and grows his church. And church is deeply precious to God. This is a trustworthy saying. This is the kind of statement you can build your life on. This is a firm and stable anchor in a sea of ideas and conflicting opinions. Because that's what God's word always is for us. It's a stable anchor. What God says to us is always trustworthy and true. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that your word is trustworthy. Thank you for what we've seen here about how noble it is to serve you and to serve your people. Thank you that you value your church so much and we pray that we would value it the same. Amen.